Welcome to the Monday Morning Captain. I am Admiral Darrell Gray. I'm Captain Clifford Douglas. And welcome back, you guys. Um, last week, we took the week off. I don't think anyone wants to compete with the Super Bowl, but if you had a chance to watch the big game and you enjoyed yourself, we hope you did. Uh, it gave us a, a, a few hours to get our thoughts together on how we want to go with this particular show and everything. And so um, some of the to topics that we're going to talk about today are very interesting, covering some of our uh, most favorite things. And uh, Captain Cliff is actually going to get started with our first science fiction segment, News. All right, guys. So uh, last week, uh, well, week before last, we spoke about um, Paramount Plus, Strange New Worlds, uh, Star Trek Prodigy. Um, but I kind of want to focus in on Paramount Plus and um, what came before it, which was CBS All Access, and how essentially this entire endeavor has been lifted up and completely and totally funded by Star Trek. Um, I feel like CBS All Access would have not been nearly as successful and quite literally would have tanked had it not been for Star Trek Discovery. Um, and, and I feel like they're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on that by giving us another three to four to five Star Trek shows in the near future. And they're rebranding something that's a little bit more modern um, and feels a little bit more modern. And they and know we'll it. watch it. They know yeah. the hardcore Trekkies. We're going to watch it. You put Trek essentially on anything right now. You're playing with house money with Discovery and Picard and with Strange New Worlds coming out and Lower Decks. Like They're playing with house money. They could give us anything right now and we would watch it. So uh, Paramount, give, keep giving us shows. We will watch it. Give us a third anime show. Give us a fourth anime show. We will watch it. Yeah, I mean, even the people who who don't like discovery or who don't like the new era of Trek yeah. still can't help, but watch it. I know they're right? still going to grab a subscription real quick to just, they can't talk shit on all their forums if they haven't seen it. Right. So, so either way you look at it, it it's good for CBS and for Paramount. And, you know, I know the numbers were overwhelmingly good with discovery season one, even with all of the internal political issues they had, um, during the, the making of that first season, um, it did incredibly well. And then season two did again, incredibly well. And we just reviewed season three. So I think everybody knows that it's doing incredibly well, considering that they renewed for season four before they even released season three. I think they knew it was going to be great. Well, they remember they did short treks as well, right? They were yeah. doing these like sh they were trying to test the waters to see how much demand there was. And for the most part, I think their their questions or their inquiry was answered by the amount of response they got from things like the short treks or um, when they even had mentioned that there was going to be another show out there. People had clamored for it. Picard. It was like we wanted everything Picard. Why do you think that they changed their name, though, from CBS All Access to Paramount Plus? What, what do you think the marketing strategy is for them on that? You know, I'm not totally sure. Um, you have Disney Plus and you. I, I, OK, when you think about it, Paramount is just so much more. It, it to me it represents that flashy entertainment value that CBS when you hear CBS, you probably think of the nightly news. Whereas if you hear Paramount, you think, oh, 
you know what I mean? It's all the movies you love, the 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 amazing intro with the mountain and and just all of the movies that it represented. So I think that um I think that it has just a little bit more of that entertainment sex appeal versus something like CBS. Well, my thing was when people went to the streaming services, I think the game of television changed to where they the the producers, the these um the Paramounts and the CBSs of the world, whether it was small screen or big screen, they realized people were going to binge things. You can do long form storytelling now. You don't have to condense it all in a two hour package or two and a half hour package. And in order to tell good stories back in the day, you had to put out a three hour movie. That's essentially what you had to do. Now they're like, okay, we can give you, you know, how many episodes are there per expanse season, right? 13. Yeah, I mean, the, when it was on Sci-Fi, they were doing, I think, fifteen to twenty. I think season one through one through three was in the high teens for right. episode count. When they moved over to Amazon, they dropped down to the standard ten, 10 which is season. which is kind of whack. But I also understand because Amazon's perspective is you're going to watch all of these in like one day. Okay, so we can't overdo it with our production value and quality and, and not dilute the product. So I understand um, any show, whether it's Paramount going to do it or uh, Amazon who owns the expanse, which we'll, we'll talk about later, but I feel like Paramount. Yeah. The more recognizable name, they knew that their entire endeavor of putting a streaming service together and making it sustainable was going to leverage a hardcore fan base. They had to leverage a hardcore fan base. Now, what's who's the hardest, corest fan base out there? We invented the conventions. Yep. We are the tropes. We are the tropes. Yep, that's true. So if they're looking out in the landscape and they're like, okay, uh, The Mandalorian, that's on um, Netflix, right? Correct. And then they got uh, Disney Plus with all the Marvel stuff. So that's where all the hardcore Marvel fans are going to go. What's left out there? Who's the hardest chorus fans out there? Trek, Trekkies, Trek. Trekkers. Yep. We're it's the true. ones out here that's like dying for the franchise, you know, figuratively speaking, right? We're the ones out here feeling like we have to defend the franchise, not only from attacks from other IP fans, but internally from people who act as if this new Trek is somehow offensive to the Trek legacy and all this stuff. It's like there is some hardcore fandom in here, and I think Paramount knew even when they were CBS All Access, that to to leverage the fortunes of this streaming service on that fan base was a pretty good bet because you knew that fan base was going to watch anything you threw at them as long as it was of a quality, even if they hated it. They, I don't hear the people who say that they hate it say it's bad quality. They just say they hate the direction it's gone. That's fine. Whatever. You're entitled to your opinion. But I do feel like they knew once they looked at Trek fans and they looked at how starved we were. We didn't have anything before discovery. What was there? Yeah, it's true. We had, we had the, the, the Kelvin universe, Star Trek movies, which yeah. for, you know, Saturday night out with the family. Sure. You know, it, my dad's an old Trekkie. So it, it was a nostalgia puller for him. He really liked seeing, you know, the old crew, on the big screen again, that was really cool for him. And, and, and I thought they were okay to watch. I, I, I wasn't like particularly wild about him, but I didn't hate him, but right. it, it wasn't, it wasn't Trek Trek like we wanted. Right. And yeah. these shows, and, and let's be honest here. 
Trek's true form is in a TV format. I do love the movies, and there's a lot to be argued for. All the movies, Nemesis, First Contact, The Wrath of Khan, all these movies, and even the remake of The Wrath of Khan and all these things. Those are great, and it's cool to have the big screen, but it doesn't feel as much like Trek until it is in a TV format for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I do hope that Paramount understands that we are a diverse Trekkie fandom. We like optimism. We like it dark. We like funny, animated. We like everything in between. So give us a bunch of stuff. We'll watch it. Uh, I just hope that they don't forget about the diversity in the fan base. Yeah, you know, I think that we have some really good representation for us in, in high places, in the writing room, in, you know, in, in the executive's offices. We have, we're being represented fairly well and, you know, they want to get the most out of us that they can and uh, the most out of us, I mean, subscription bucks. Yeah. Um, I'll keep giving them so, money if they keep putting out quality like that. I have no problem giving my money to people who put out good quality. Yeah, I agree. Um, CBS All Access and Paramount Plus, when it does come around, is money that I already just considered spent. It, it, it isn't even a, 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 a negotiation. Like, And I think that's the way with even people who don't like the new series, it's, it's not even a negotiation. They have to watch it. They have to get in on that. They have to see what the new shows are going to be like. They have to see what direction, just so they can talk shit, even if that's what they want to do. Of course. Um, so, so, you know, I think that... Uh, the new name is going to bring in a little bit more of um, it, it's going to it's going to push past the boundaries of Trek as far as bringing people in, because people who are coming in to CBS All Access for Trek were coming for Trek. It might as well have been Star Trek All Access, right? Because we're really I don't watch anything else on CBS All Access except for Star Trek. But Paramount Plus I know is bringing a lot of new titles yeah. to their to their uh, uh, their arsenal, and that's going to bring. And I mean they they had a Super Bowl commercial, man. And can we talk about those commercials? Oh for yeah, a moment? yeah. Let's talk about those commercials for real quick because they were ill. <laughs> they were ill. Man, so the commercials are so good. So here's the commercial I like. There's two of them out there right now. Um, there's one with Patrick Stewart, and then there's one with Anson Mount and Christopher, um, what's his name? Uh, Ethan, oh. Ethan Pike. Ethan, Ethan Peck. Peck. Ethan, Ethan Peck. Peck. Ethan That's Pike, it. Christopher Pine, all these damn people. Uh, so there's the one where they're walking through the snow, and they got like character after characters, like Dora the Explorer, and like... Yeah. Anson Mount as Captain Pike is walking throughout the snow and they got like Snooky from, uh, you know, the, the old school reality TV shows and stuff. And just the humor in which it is done in. I feel like it tastefully doesn't take itself too seriously. What I didn't want was something where in this new generation, Trek was going to like make fun of itself at the expense of its fan base, you know, and it doesn't do that at all. And in that commercial, I'll let you get to the, the Picard commercial in a second, but in that commercial, it showed that even alongside of things that you would want to watch with your kids, things you may want to watch with the, the, the old lady, whatever the case may be, you're going to find it on their network. And oh, guess what? We're guaranteeing this new show of, you know, Strange New Worlds. We're going all in on that. I think they're going to go all in on Strange New Worlds. Strange I New Worlds too. is probably what they wish they would have did in the beginning and then spin off into a discovery, but they, you know, they did it the other way, and that's fine. I feel like I feel like Discovery is for the hardcore Trekkies. Hardcore. I feel like 
I feel like discovery is kind of that new horizon. It's the it's the 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 frontier, the the cutting edge of Star Trek. Whereas Strange New Worlds totally dips itself in the sex appeal of the original series. Mm-hmm. I mean, first off, we all know that you know Captain Kirk in his day was was considered somewhat of a sex icon. Oh, absolutely. And, and we all know the ladies love Anson Mount. Yeah, right? that's true. Um, dude's a good looking guy yeah. and he's got charm and charisma and he pulled the he pulled the pike role, I think, better than anybody I've ever seen do it so far. And um, I think that they're going to push that further than they've pushed Discovery just for that simple fact that it yeah. has. He's very just marketable. Has. Yeah. And, and, and people want to see the, the old school, um, you know, back and forth between, uh, an original series style captain and an original series style Spock. And I'm really, really, really excited to see where they go with this because man, we haven't seen anything like that in Trek for a long time. Trek got really deep into its own tropes and kind of that old school you know, the original series style of Trek kind of was forgotten by 1995. We didn't, yeah. we, we had no ze- resemblance of that in any Trek. Nope. And now Deep we're Space coming Nine straight was back the torchbearer and now we're coming full circle. Yeah. What did you think about the uh, Picard uh, commercial? You know, you know what? I thought it was great. I thought, I, I felt like that they did kind of everything they needed to. And it's funny because they didn't really show Patrick Stewart as, Picard it mm-hmm. was more of a it, it, it was both you could see it as Patrick Stewart or as Picard and I feel like that's because those two characters are so similar um but I mean it showed it showed everybody from Spongebob to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to characters from I Love Lucy um you know they got Stephen King's new thing coming on there and oh, wow. and yeah they have they have they really expanded on what they're what they're doing with paramount plus and i bet um, you when they were going through these properties that they were acquiring they're like this to say that we're cbs all access sounds so small yeah it sounds so tiny and if you say paramount plus boom i bet you there was a real argument i bet you someone resigned over that i bet you someone was like no you can't change it to paramount plus that that's ridiculous that sounds crazy you can't and the guy was like it sounds better i bet you someone was like i tender my resignation I can't. Nope. And I'm telling you right now, you were wrong. If you're sitting on the couch right now looking for it, LinkedIn, you're going through your LinkedIn profiles because you used to work at CBS All Access and they changed their name and you were like, here's my resignation. You're on the wrong side of history, buddy. Sorry. Or, you know, butter if you're a girl. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. So I think it's safe to say that uh, both of us here are very excited for Paramount Plus, not just as a Star Trek uh, access point, but generally as a streaming service. I mean, if they got things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I love and uh, SpongeBob, I love Lucy. All these they're great shows. I mean, I can't I can't wait to get into the Stephen King stuff. So this may be something that I don't just subscribe to when Star Trek is airing. It might be something I keep you around. So we'll see. Absolutely. Uh, our next uh, topic and segment that we're going to do, as we did last week, is our sci-fi reviews. Now, we just finished up season three of Discovery, which was fantastic. And I have been, uh, I'm not going to say pressured, but a lot of people have hit me up and told me, Gray, I don't know how you don't watch The Expanse. How is it that you're into everything that The Expanse is in storytelling and you don't watch this show? And 
you know, I have a bit of a resistance complex. I like to get to things at my own speed and stuff like that. So finally, I was like, I don't have anything to watch. Lower Decks is completed. Picard is completed. Uh, Discovery is completed. I don't have anything to watch right now. Trek. So I was like, all right, let me finally give The Expanse a watch. And I, I bit through that first season. That first season was a hard watch. I'll tell you that. But towards the end, it did get pretty good. Uh, the character of, of, of Miller, Amos, um, I, I felt like were the two standout characters in the first season. But that was because I didn't know if they knew how to write Naomi in the first season. I felt like there was it was a character they were trying to discover who she was. Now, I don't know if that was a reference from the book because I never read the books. And I know that the books are far more detailed than these characters in their lives and all stuff. And there's been some liberties taken. So I totally understand that Game of Thrones type liberties. But yeah, the first season I was not crazy about. And then the second season comes in and they start talking about, spoiler alert, right? Proto Molecule. And the Proto Molecule is a game changer from the perspective of. Okay, so first let me go back because I want to give this the, the proper due before I turn it over to you because I know you're a huge fan of this show and you can talk about it in detail forever. So I may be even talking about some things that I don't know as well as you that you can expound upon. But the groundedness that the reality of the expanse is in is the most realistic that I have seen so far in science fiction. I love Star Trek. I am a Trekkie. I will bleed for the brand. However, it is very grandiose, very theatric, very playwright almost. Yeah. Uh, Shakespearean, you know, this ain't that. This yeah. is what happens if people are out in the vacuum of space and they've evolved in that environment. And this is the appeal of this show now. I didn't really care about where they were in, in time so much as this shows a non quote unquote utopian, you know, rosy view of the future when people are expanding out into the solar system not even into the galaxy because when you get into star trek they're already traversing the galaxy you don't see them become type one and having to struggle what it all the stuff that it takes for them to get from from pre-cartership to type one and all the technology you don't see that you just come right in the, the, the cake is already baked you don't see how the eggs were fucking cracked or anything like that so the expanse is kind of showing you this is what it would take for a quote unquote federation to actually be made. They would have to, the factions of the system would have to go to war with each other. There would have to be a right. dominant power. There's never a situation where uh, there's going to be dominant, multiple dominant superpowers and they don't have, they're not on some sort of a collision course. And the groundedness of this environment that the expanse is set in is I think the real appeal, not unlike, in my opinion, what Battlestar Galactica tried to do with their remake in the 2000s, which is a great remake, right? It was very grounded. You know, they replaced the word fuck with frack. And so they could say it on TV and it was it was kind of dope, right? This feels like that if if that was made today on a because I know they're on Amazon now, so they don't have cursing filters and shit like that like they did on sci-fi. But even on sci-fi, they would cuss because they would just pay the FCC fine because the show yeah. was so popular. They're right. like, listen, we can write the check now. If we get to say shit or, you know, God damn it, in in a in an episode to emphasize our point or even the dreaded fuck, they'll write that check too. They don't mind. Yeah. And that's what I love about this particular uh, environment for The Expanse. So you have this tension between the United Nations of Earth 
which is a, a, a predominantly government-led bureaucracy. And there's these characters, this woman who I can't pronounce her name. Uh, Ava Sarala. Ava Sarala. I mean, what a character, bro. She's incredible. What one of my favorites. What a character. She's if incredible. I, she is my spirit animal right now. She's the Pat Beverly. If people know sports, know I'm a Clipper fan. She's the Pat Beverly of that show. She's a dog. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but she is a pit bull. She will, and I don't mean that in a bad way, right? Uh, she, is, she is the type of aggression that you need to forge empires. You don't forge empires without, ty- that, without that type of resolve. And the way that she's depicted and in, in that she doesn't lose her femininity. I hate when they try to do that and depict women of power by being masculine. No, she's very feminine, but her resolve is so resolute that it's just like, whoa, like you, you could feel the energy of resolve radiating off of her. And then also her, her bodyguard who is, you don't even know this, right? Did you watch Spartacus? Yeah. Some of it. So yeah. you know the character Asher is the right. character. Bro, once I saw that, I was like, yeah, this show's going to be one of my favorites ever. Because Asher's in the show. And I know Asher was a heel. He was a bad guy in that show. But if you watch that show, you know even Asher had lovable qualities. Even though he was a piece of, piece of shit, he was still kind of a you know a guy you still kind of rooted for at a certain point in the show. Because even he got fucked over. And him in this show, now he's a good guy. And it's like, I'm rooting for him as if he's Asher from Spartacus in The Expanse. I'm like, yeah, Asher, he's killing it. Um, and then so there's this, the, 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 the Marine, the Martian Marine, Bobby, uh, Alex, the pilot, um, you know, even I'm not, I wasn't too much of a fan of Captain, what's the captain's name? James Holden. James Holden. I wasn't too much of a fan of him in the beginning. He's starting to grow on me a bit. Is he starting to find his place as a leader? And yes. leadership is one of those things that we 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 talk about on the record, off the record. It's just, it's a tough job. He said it. I don't want to be the one that makes the decisions about who lives and who dies. It's tough. Yeah. Especially when you have to make those decisions on a spot notice where you have all the information you're gonna get. You gotta make a decision. Go. Yeah. And you know, the thing about James Holden is that he kind of plays a Captain Cisco role. He becomes more connected with quote unquote Miller as a proto molecule. I don't even like psychic telepathic entity. And mm-hmm. he has a link with Miller that nobody else has. And so he's kind of the emissary of the proto molecule in this strange way. And so he's kind of forced to play this huge part in such a grandiose story where he's dealing with his own life on the Rosinante and their own problems and his relationship with Naomi and mm. all of these different things. And, and then at the same time, you know, essentially the fate of the solar system and humanity as we know it kind of rests in his hands and, and how he interprets these things. And, you know, the dude genuinely has a lot of shit in his backpack that he's carrying around. Um, and while all the other characters shine in their own way, he very much has the most responsibility out of anybody else in the story. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's one aspect I do want to point out from him, which is the, the distance he's traveled from the decisions he's made on, on the can't right. Well, 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 from that whole incident where the Canterbury ship was destroyed. Now I'm only two and a half episodes into season three, but 
from what I've seen of him in those two episodes, it's like everything that he's gone through up until that point, he's ready for the weight that you're describing that he's going to have to carry. He was, I don't think that that character in season, uh, early season two would have been able to carry that weight. Well, he didn't want to. He didn't want the XO position on the Canterbury. I mean, the introduction of his character was, I just kind of want to float along, you know, I want to screw hot space chicks, which is like literally one of the opening scenes to the show. You know, I just want to do my job and get paid and not have to worry about this. You know, he comes from kind of a complicated family life back on Earth. Um, and it, to me that really showed that his character didn't want what it was about to receive. So he was kind of thrown into the position that he was thrown into. He didn't mean for any of it to happen. Whereas the, the, the same can't be said for like, say, Ava Sarala. She, the resolve, the, the, she had a tiger's eye, you know, she knew exactly what she wanted. And you'll see she sacrifices pretty much everything in her personal life going through the show to achieve the things that she wants to achieve for humanity and for herself. It's, it's both grandiose and selfish at the same time. And her character is very complicated in that sense that she has to like really have this tug of war between home and family life and her personal relationships. And then also, you know, her responsibilities and her rise to the top because she does continue to rise to the ranks as the show goes forward. And she becomes probably one of the most, if not the most important character in the story at one point. So, you know, you see her character basically shed all of these, like, so to speak, earthly, uh, you know, uh, attachments and, and become this, this icon of power. Um, and, and that continues to go on and go forward. And James Holden becomes almost, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, because you're say, you're yeah, only no, at season yeah, three. Yeah, you're no. only at the beginning of season three, and it's just starting to ramp up and get good. Well, let me um, ask you this question, and it's not a spoiler question, but what do you think with the way that they depicted the tensions between Earth, Mars, and the Belter? What do you think was the most interesting, unique aspect of that storytelling compared to what you had seen before and other? storytelling like star trek or stargate uh i, I could tell you myself was the idea that there is going to be a different sub sub class of society that will take place at the far outer rings of the most dangerous parts of space uh yeah. but but what would what would yours be between the martians the un and, and the belters as far as just being the most unique aspect of kind of sci-fi because i had never seen anyone depict belters that that way or I, I never heard of the concept of a belter someone working near the asteroid belt growing up in low gravity you know zero near zero g gravity sort of thing yeah well and, and it's interesting because belters can't live if you grew up in space if you grew up in the belt and you didn't have the expensive because there's people who are a little bit wealthier in the belt uh due to their ties to what they call the inners people who live on the inner planets like mars and earth they can get this surgery that helps them helps their bone structure uh, essentially um, handle the zero G for long periods of time. So Holden had that surgery, James Holden. Um, 
and they call him something very specific for that. Uh, and and a lot of other people, you see a lot of these belters are really tall and lanky because they didn't have the gravity to compress their bones. So when they do actually step foot on a planet with real gravity, it's literally painful. They can't breathe. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. can't even exist anymore on a planet. One of the great scenes I remember seeing is when Bobby goes to Earth the first time to testify and she comes out of the transporter and the light from the natural sun was so blinding that the dude next to her threw up. Yep. Like it was so and maybe that wasn't the reason why he threw up, but if they correlated those things together to where he was so disoriented, he was just like, oh, I just this is this is destroyed. I'm just destroyed here. Um, but I love the fact that she wanted to look at the natural sun. She wanted to see the ocean, even though that ocean was dirty as hell. I love how they showed that ocean just being super nasty. And dog. she it thought makes, it was. She thought it was beautiful. I know it makes me want to go like clean an ocean right now. It's, uh. Yeah, it, it's true. And you know, I think that the whole thing really depicts kind of current times. Uh, I think the U, United Earth, uh, you know, um, UNN, the really represents kind of what Europe represents right now in current times and Mars really represents kind of what America represents in current times as we broke off and became independent and now we're really the military superpower because Mars has all of the current technology. They have the newest ships, they have the newest tech, they have the newest weapons. They are by far the most beefiest military force in space right now. And but if, so But if you don't have the amount of bullets, don't mean to cut you off, but if you don't have the amount of bullets to kill all of your enemies, um would you still say that you would be at a disadvantage because I know Earth's argument, the UN's argument is we've got numbers. And that's how the Borg was able to take over the Delta Quadrant. That's how the Dominion was able to take over the Gamma Quadrant numbers. So right. So you'll see how that plays out because it does it does boil over it happens and it it goes down oh it goes it goes extra down bro and i'm gonna tell (laughs) you right now earth is got a lot of problems that mars doesn't have mars has a society that is dedicated to the idea of mars whereas earth has a lot of internal corruption and bullshit and you know bureaucracy the the problems of a latent empire right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what happens when career politicians are in power for generations whereas mars it they're so focused on surviving and turning literally nothing into something on the surface of mars that they have every single one of their mars citizens has a resolve that i think that and and on earth they have universal income that everybody just gets paid there's no the economy is different on earth things are different on earth mars they have a purpose they have a drive and you'll see how those two things affect this entire conflict in the future mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah i think that you know you're just getting to really the boiling point, the peak, the best part of the expanse and everything else after that becomes very complicated and character driven. But right now I feel like you're getting into that grandiose chessboard look at the solar system before the proto molecule becomes a problem, so to speak. Damn. Well, if you weren't sold on that show yet, uh, you should be after a statement like that. Um, I will say that if I would have had to have wait weeks after weeks to watch episode after episode, I may not have still been able to hang on. I like 
binging this show even more than a show like Star Trek because each episode directly develops on top of the character developments of the last episode. Right. And I think that it is, it's well done. Um, what's her, I keep mispronouncing her name. What's her name? Ava Sarala. Ava Sarala. I'm going to get it right. Ava Sarala right now is, if not my favorite character, my second favorite character. It's hard not to think that Amos is one of the greatest characters in science fiction history, though. Oh, you know whose character is great, too? Who's the assistant to Fred Johnson? Um, that chick? Oh, drummer? I need her to be a oh, she, Vulcan or a Klingon. In dude, a, in, she's I, so good. She needs a job in Star Trek now. Just wait until you get into where I'm at in the series now. You are going to look at her character and bow. You're going to want to kiss her feet because she is so incredible, dude. I want her right now. She's awesome. She's yeah. awesome. Like the whole scene where they, you know, they they take the 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 place over and she does what she does after that when they're trying, like, oh my goodness. It was really good. I, I'll say this. There are a lot of characters and a lot of things to like about this show. Even if you don't really like the setting of space with your stories in that way, there's so little of that in the great grand scheme of things that the story of the characters are far more just it's almost like Spartacus. Spartacus takes place in ancient Rome. And yeah, you can get lost in the fact that it's in ancient Rome, but the character story developments were far more intoxicating to me than the period it took place in. If you took all those characters in Spartacus or you took all these characters in the expanse and you put them in the modern day law and order, I think they'd still kill. Yeah, they would. Yeah. It's, it's just general talent on the part of writing. And, and you know what? The, look, the expanse has an advantage here that I think it's the elephant in the room. People don't talk about it's coming from a very well-written book. Mm. These aren't shitty books. They're the, the series of the books. They're fantastic. And so these writers that are just adapting something that's already incredible and then smacking talent on top of it with the cast that they have is bound to be incredible. And something that, you know, we talk about with the Shakespearean part of Trek and things like that, the expanse doesn't, it doesn't sexify space. Space is not sexy in the expanse. It's terrifying. It's fucking terrifying. It's realistic. It's you will die. There's a lot of people dying just because they're in space in the expanse. So yeah, space is a weapon. A lot of times space is used as a weapon and that it shows you the harsh reality of how that's often used as leverage. The fact that you're in a vacuum, you know, you may be on a on a large rock in that vacuum, but you're still on a vacuum. If they kick you off that rock because there are other places to go, you could be expelled from Earth in the expanse. Yep. yep. You know, like what? Well, if you're in a ship. And you do something wrong, they can space you. And it's not like being exiled on, you know, on Earth where you can go and, and live, you know, live by yourself and, and, and fend off the land. Like, no, being exiled means death in, in the expanse, essentially. So, so, yeah, it's not, you know, sex and space travel is not sexy in the expanse. It's terrifying. It's, it's weaponized. Um, it's realistic. The, the politics in the expanse are realistic. Um, it, it, it is very resource driven. I yeah. love that. Yeah. It's the idea it's, that there's still a scarcity market. I know people like to have this idea of like a post-scarcity reality and a post-scarcity society. And yeah, that may be possible if you're able to do certain things. However, let's just assume for a second that that's not going to take place. That we're not going to be able to live in a post-scarcity society. What would a science fiction show where you're traversing space, what would that look like? 
instead of being able to just produce food out of nothingness or raw atomic material where you just don't talk about where you hand wave where you get it from. This is one of the best depictions of that. Yeah, I agree. And it's uh, to me, it's it's much more of a realistic adaptation to the future of space because it takes place a couple hundred, you know, three, four hundred years in the future. And let's look three or four hundred years back in current time. If those people had access to space travel, this is what it would look like. Humans don't change over the course of a thousand years, man. So to me, uh, you know, three or four hundred years in the future doesn't look very different than what we're seeing here on Earth, which is resource-driven, political-driven, war machine-style, you know, feed the war machine. That is that is what we're seeing in The Expanse. We're really seeing representation of humanity in space as we know it. And, you know, to me, like we, like we said, Trek is fantasy because the utopian future is very unlikely, um, whereas The Expanse is probably the most realistic prediction scenario we can see in sci-fi right now and i love that yeah and i love that too there's also an aspect of it where not even just the utopian economy being something that would be unrealistic or unlikely but the idea of faster than light travel right that's another elephant in the room that we don't really like to talk about in a lot of these science fiction shows now i don't know if there's some ftl sort of thing that that takes place later on in the expanse but if there is i'm sure it'd be done from a very grounded place because everything in that show is done from a very grounded place. Even when they're in the racing ship and she's trying to keep uh, Abbas, uh one more time. Avasarala. Avasarala. I'm going to get it. Avasarala. When she's trying to keep Avasarala awake by not going so fast because of the G's that it's putting on her body because she's older. It's it's I was like, whoa, they have put so <laughs> The fact that they have to inject meth when they want to get up to a maximum speed because the G-forces will literally fucking kill you, it, that is the re that's real, okay? That's the realistic future that we're looking at here because there really isn't, uh, you know, we don't have inertial dampeners, man. That's all playing on very, very fantasy-like science. And given our current scientific advancements, the only thing that we're going to get is better, better sealed ships and better thrusting power. That's not going to change the fact that literally G-forces will be smacking against your body and pushing all the blood out of your brain and murdering you if you don't have something to loosen all that stuff up in there. So, you know, that's a, you know, that's a real realistic take on, on space travel and probably what the foreseeable future of space travel is going to look like. Right. They do that with a couple other things, too, because we could talk about this all day, but like with propulsion. You know, in Star Trek, and this, we're, we're huge Trekkies, right? We just went and did a whole last segment about how big Trekkies we are. So we're not using this as some sort of a way to, to, to diminish Trek. But in Trek, there's a lot of fantastical ways that propulsion is hand-waved. And it's just like, well, ships just, you know, we create a warp field and ships just go. Well, in the Expanse, everything is thruster-based. So you don't see these wings with these ships with these fantastical wings and nacelles and stuff all over them coming out. Because there's no youth, there's no medium for them to now when they get into atmospheric uh conditions they'll usually have like parachutes or things that are based on breaking the gravity of the, the planet that they're the atmosphere that they're in as opposed to where in star trek you just basically have thrusters thrusters whatever those are and warp engines right the warp nacelles and the warp core and those are your two main vehicles to traversing the space and time of star trek in the expanse you literally have your main thrusters and your secondary thrusters, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's it is 
essentially it it comes down to what space travel really is going to look like in the future, which is basically what submarines are doing. Um, you know, you look at the life of, uh, you know, sailors on a Navy, on a Navy submarine, and you look at the life of, of future space travelers. And that's what it really feels like in the expanse. So, so yeah, I'm glad you're into the expanse. I'm glad you're, and just wait because season three, man, Oh, you're, you're in, you're in for a, ride because season three is where things seriously change in the show and the proto molecule becomes a problem. And I won't say how, because it's incredible and yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Um, so yeah, now we can, uh, now we can move on to, uh, our next segment, which is our favorite segment. Oh yeah. And that's star citizen. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, uh, star citizens, 3.12.1 patch went live last week or about a week and a half ago and whatnot. And so we took the Unified Federation into that particular scenario, and uh, it gave us a good opportunity to really test what this emergent gameplay is going to be like in the future for a game like Star Citizen. Um, we're not going to go too much into the, the mission itself, as opposed to what we're going to talk about as, as how it affected our organization and us working together. So... Um, the first thing I want to do is just really commend the Unified Federation for their operations during that event, because the discipline and the operational awareness that was shown from all of the different ships that were in the field, from the Donatello to the Janet May to the CIC, the Sagan, uh, First Air Squadron, like everybody was on their game. So when we talk about what actually took place it's even better because you're not really dealing with people kind of being out of the element. And so we're essentially running this multi-crew operation where different ships are tasked with different things. And up until this point, you didn't really have any gameplay inside the game of Star Citizen that would force this. You had to create this yourself. Well, now they're actually creating the emergent gameplay this type of server-wide event gameplay where an entire organization can go and different aspects of the organization can interact with that event in different ways. And that was the beauty of what was going on last week. You know, we had, you know, there's a, a mechanism in the mission where something has to get transported. Well, we had a ship doing that. We had a, a ship covering the air uh, cap tactical airspace that we were trying to cover. We had a, a unit doing that. We had units essentially doing everything that we could possibly think of regarding that event. And there were still things that we probably couldn't get to because there were so many things. So what were your thoughts on just the implementation of Zeno threat, uh, doing that as an org, you know, how people respond to that? What were your thoughts on that cap? Well, you know, being in the thick of it, as uh, as the Janet May was, um, we had. I think I had the most fun, and I could I can speak for my crew here. We had the most fun we probably ever had in Star Citizen, um, and watching all of the different aspects of our organization, all of the different skill sets, be able to apply themselves successfully. And it was absolute chaos, but it was organized chaos. That was. That was a that was a top point for me. That was uh, I feel like we finally got a taste of what this game is going to be like in its final state, and I already want more. 
<laughs> or do you want more? Uh, this brings a dynamic to the game that everybody who has ever invested money into this game has wanted from day one. And we, we have not gotten that. And it, it, it was a data dump. We got not just this new emergent mission, this new you know, server-wide event, that anybody can take part in. It's not uh, one organization or group of people grabs the mission and it becomes unavailable. Everybody comes to do this. So it attracts criminals, pirates, organizations, and lawful people alike. So there is a dynamic to this whole thing that gives us a, a glimpse into the future of Star Citizen that we've never had before. And And again, I think everybody is hungry for more of this. And I think they're seeing extreme... Success. I know that the, that a bunch of people have come back to Star Citizen to check out this event, and I already want to do it again. I mean, I, I'm already ready to to do the Xeno Threat thing again. Um, and, and just so people understand what Xeno Threat is, it's essentially like an event driven server mission that propagates a bunch of different parts of the lore of Star Citizen, um, from the UEE Navy to essentially a rogue organization that, uh, they, they call themselves Xeno Threat, and, you know, they're, they're essentially angry at the Empire for making deals with other species, with alien species, and that's why they're called Xeno Threat. Um, they're, they're essentially xenophobes, and, and they are not cool with humans interacting and making deals with aliens, and they are very angry at humanity's government for doing it, and, you have to essentially pick your side and help the UEE or Xenothreat accomplish their mission. And there are so many cool aspects to it as an organization that you can do from, from air support to you know ground security to ship security to big ships and cargo hauling and logistics. It, everything you can possibly imagine, this, this mission allows you to do. And it's not, again, it's like, you know, like uh, like the Admiral said before, it's not something that you have to invent. It's not content you have to invent. It's just something that you go and directly engage with, and it pays well. It's fantastic. This is the kind of stuff that we need in Star Citizen going forward, period, at all times. I, I want something like this available on the servers all the time, period. Agreed. Well, what's crazy about this is that it was implemented so well, I thought that they would have to stage this in like scale this in i didn't think that they were going to do something like this over just one patch iteration like it was 12 it was 312.1 and i know we're probably going to get a, a, a 0.2 and 0.3 before we actually get the next major patch but i i was just thinking that they were going to okay set the standard or the, the the stage for this part of that mission and then the next patch will get the next part no that's not what they did they gave us all of it and it runs really, really well. So if you're on a ship, six, seven people on a ship, and you guys are coordinated with other people uh, where they're on their ships and you're trying to coordinate with them in that space, there's not like a, a latency when it comes to interacting with the battle or the people in it. You, you're literally, it's everyone's in the same space. It's running really well. And that was the goal in the long-term dream of Star Citizen is that something like that could happen and not to refer back to our, our, our previous uh, segment, but when in, there's a scene in the expanse where one of the domes gets hit by a mirror and it's like, you want to be able to have something in star citizen to where if there's a battle going on in orbit, something could fall from orbit and damage something on the ground. And I do believe with the way that they've implemented these types of missions, that will be possible in some form of a future in, in the future, where if you shoot a space station out of the sky, 
the gravity of that planet will pull it towards that planet and it will fall and hit that planet. You can salvage that, sp that uh, space station. That's what I do believe they're going to happen. And this proves to me that they could do things on that scale. Yeah, and it could be procedurally generated. They could literally dial in the parameters, you know, per whatever part of space it's in and then, the, you know, the current government and, and, you know, criminality of that area and things like that. And, and they can procedurally generate those things. And yeah, everything that happens in the verse will have a, a ripple effect. Yeah. And that's what they want. And they want it to be persistent. They want that ripple effect to, to be lasting forever. Yeah. So, so we're, we're seeing the first, the first real iteration of that. And boy, is it, is it so incredible. It's so sweet on the tongue. I love it. Absolutely. If you guys do want more information about uh, not only Star Citizen itself, but uh, the grand unified organization, the gaming organization that we have that plays Star Citizen, go to unifiedfederation.com and there's a bunch of information on what we do there and, and why we do what we do in the game and all that type of stuff. So if you're interested in that, unifiedfederation.com you whatever information you want and if you want to apply for the fleet if you play the game you know shoot us a, shoot us an application yep that sounds great well uh i think we're pushing on to almost an hour so i think we can successfully wrap this up uh, i Absolutely. hope you guys uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this segment uh we'll be back next week with some more sci-fi news reviews and star citizen um and uh, i'm excited to see uh what the expanse brings for you yeah, absolutely. For those who haven't started that show, if you guys kind of want to catch up to where I am right now, I'm on episode three of season three. So I don't know where you may be, but if you're interested in that, let me know. Shoot me a message in the Discord and I'll definitely let you know, let you know what I think. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. I am Admiral Darrell Gray. I'm Captain Clifford Douglas. And we will see you guys next week. Peace, peace.